Okay, we're going to begin. This story is called The Ferry. It's taken from March 2001. Uh, in the book series, it's part of It's a Rum Life, Book 4, Volume 2, 1994-2008. We could not visit our French twin town in March 2001. The foot and mouth crisis had taken a firm hold on the English countryside. Lincolnshire was completely clear and there was no outbreak within 150 miles or so, but we still felt it just not fair to run the risk of spreading the disease. Our friends ran their family dairy farm, La Peruderie, just outside Frenet-sur-Sart, close to the Le Mans in northern France. We'd been visiting them every year since just before the official twinning arrangements between their town and our local town of Spilsby in Lincolnshire had been officially commenced. They were greatly relieved and had to admit that just the thought of entertaining a family from England at that time was stretching even a long-term friendship to the utmost. Unbeknown to us at the time, this brought about one of the most unforgettable visits to France that we had experienced in over 35 years. We decided to travel to the area around Tours and stay at a B&B that was well known to us. No animals in the vicinity and no farmers to worry about. Tickets on our preferred ferry Brittany Ferries route had been booked and we duly arrived at Ouistreham, to be confronted by huge baths of disinfectant for all vehicles arriving from Britain, smaller lakes for cars and huge deep pools for lorries. These precautions quite put Britain to shame. The puny carpet we drove over on leaving the customs shed in Portsmouth was not even going to frighten an FMD bug, never mind soak it into dis extinction. The holiday went very pleasantly, excellent food and wine and the usual good company at Le Marchellerie, close to Montoir-sur-Loire. Accommodation. On the return journey, we decided that as the ferry we had booked departed Wiestrem at 8am in the morning, we'd stay for the night at a hotel in the port. Do you wish breakfast was the last thing we heard from the patron. Uh, we explained that we expected to catch the 8am ferry and should be on board before this 7.30am start. Or his his, his 7.30am start. That was our intention, anyway. At this stage, I must state that Ruth is always paranoid about ferry and catching it in time. After many bad experiences at other ferry ports and... Uh, services we had for a long time settled on the Portsmouth Weestrain route as by far the best. However Ruth was insistent that no matter which way we were travelling we had to be there at least an hour before we were supposed to be. I might add that on the odd occasion when we had missed the ferry for one reason or another it, it tends it sends her into a frenzy. Settling down for the night, we left the bedroom window shutters half open so that the early morning light would wake us in good time. All watches and clocks close to hand and off we went to sleep. About 3am, the wind was howling and the rain battering the windows. The bedroom shutters did not appear to fasten well at the best of times and in this tempest they demanded attention. 
Opening the window brought in a torrent of rain, and I obviously could not survive long fighting the awkward multi-year-on-year overpainted shutter fittings, so I took the easiest route in the circumstances and closed them tight. This was to have dire consequences. Where were my spectacles? Sometime later, I awoke and looked at my watch. It appeared to say 6.20am. Plenty of time. I dozed for a bit and eventually got up at 6.35am. Went into the bathroom and shaved. I noticed that the hotel doors were open and this did not register anything at the time. At about 6.50, I took the first bags into the car while Ruth washed. Hotel's open early, I thought. I opened the car door and glanced at the clock on the dash. 7.50! Bag hurled into car. Sped round to hotel bedroom at full pelt. Fifths on bathroom window, almost sufficient to bake the glass. It's 7.50! It's 7.50! It's 7.50! Ruth reacted in splendid form. Everything in hand and into a bag, snap, soap and flannel and all. Coat on and we were out of the room in about 30 seconds. Door key into the box and we sped round to the rear of the annex and the car. I did notice the patron cease in his sweeping the hotel front across the road as he gazed in amazement. Last bags into the car, engine started first time and we were off at 7.52. The hotel we, cho we chose was quite close to the ferry port, fortunately, and after negotiating the early morning traffic and a few badly placed bollards, tyres smoking, we arrived with a screech at the check-in counter at 7.53 and a bit. To say the least, the two smart Ferry staff were amazed, even more so when we asked to get on the ferry that was actually practically dropping its mooring ropes. We overslept, we explained. It was that wretched storm. It's equally amazing how in a crisis one can be quite fluent in a foreign language when normally I'm often searching for words I need. Can you please, please help? You're not asking much, was the reply, or something like that. The ferry sails in five minutes. OK, I'll ask, he said, to our initial relief. We must have looked such a mess. Can you just imagine the state, half-dressed and half-washed, and less than half-awake? Not to mention the utter shock we were still experiencing. It was still only five minutes since finding ourselves in the worst possible predicament. If the ferry did go without us, there was no other ferry for eight hours or so. We had now locked ourselves out of our hotel. We were only half-dressed, and waiting for us on the ferry was a lovely double cabin, with outside window provided free as members of the Brittany Ferries Travel Club. He said yes. All this, and the thought of any consequential inquiry from my companion in the car on the quayside for eight hours, did not bear thinking about. All this passed through my mind in the minute and a half that we waited, shaking. OK, was all he said. Show me your passports, and then be very, very quick. I grabbed the passports back as soon as they were offered and we were through the barrier and douane and onto the quayside in a flash. The boat was about half a mile ahead and Ruth noticed a car flashing its headlights in the distance. 
The top ramp, normally used by cars, was well packed away, and the car was showing us we were to use the only access left into the lower goods vehicle deck. It was virtually full, and just one more Arctic pulled in alongside us as we caught our breath. The sea door closed while we were still in the car. We'd made it by about 30 seconds. Recovering slowly, but still very shaky, we made our way up to the cabin deck and reception. I'd realised my mistake, not using my spectacles. I'd misread the watch. I thanked the nice lady at reception and mentioned the spectacles. Please thank the captain for managing to get us on board, I said. I'll be sure to always read my watch while using my glasses in future. We found our cabin and sunk down onto the bunks, relief pouring out and the shaking gradually subsiding. Not quite the end yet. You know how one thing follows another. Well, the journey had not finished with us yet. Our boat was the Duke de Normandy, the smaller of the two ferries regularly used on this route. The cabin was lovely. Two bunks, shower, toilet. I'm going to rest and sleep for a while, I said, and we began to move out to sea. Ruth went off to have a brief look in the shops and I settled down. Within ten minutes the motion began to be decidedly lumpy. We dismissed the storm during the night and after all it was daylight now. The sea had not forgotten and in fact the wind was howling even more as the ferry manoeuvred out into open water. The motion got worse very quickly and Ruth returned with some clanking carriers and dropped into her berth smartly. Will all passengers please not go out on deck was the next announcement. Sleep was impossible and using the shower was certainly out. Gradually one became used to the motion. The tipping fore and aft was quite dramatic, dramatic and occasionally the berth dipped away from you. Our cabin was on deck seven, just below the lifeboat deck and each time the ship dove down the waves thundered against our window. In the trough there was nothing to see except the huge waves rolling towards us. On the crests, one could see the sea all around us was turbulent in the extreme. But halfway across, I just had to visit the loo for a pee. I'm not normally seasick. In fact, many years of yachting as a hobby had hardened us to this kind of motion. Standing up was not to be advised. I would never be able to hit the pan, even gripping tight to the towel rail, so I sat. I didn't sit for long, though. Within less than a minute, the loo had left me in mid-air, and more, more than three times. Back in the bunk, between the pitching, the ship rolled, and you just rolled with it. The bunks were fitted crossways, at a right angle to the window, and we just went up and down and down and up, sliding quite gently along the bunk from foot to head and back. In fact, we did sleep quite a long time. I think the stress of almost not getting on the ship and the aftershock together with the rocking and rolling put us to sleep. It was a little more gentle as we came round the Isle of Wight and we did manage to get clean eventually but it was too rocky to use the shower. There was more to come though. If we'd been told beforehand what was in store on this journey 
one would just not have believed it. Down on the lower deck and waiting to disembark just in front of us was a Mercedes van from Germany with two German chaps. During the voyage their van had somehow rammed a camper just in front. There were chains all around and it was quite obvious to us all that all the vehicles had been chained down during the crossing. The camper was one of an identical pair that seemed to be travelling together. There was a real carry-on as the English owner of the rammed camper created and stamped and stormed. His van though had only suffered superficial scratches or so it seemed. His friend went on ahead and we left the German chaps and the camper and the deck officer on the quayside beside the ship taking statements etc. At this stage I must add that after travelling on cross-channel ferries for over 27 years, sometimes two or three times a year, I've never ever seen two vehicles touch one another on the ship. Nobody had actually seen these two vehicles collide. It was just there as everyone arrived on the vehicle deck. We were the last vehicle off, not surprising really. And we'd been doing some shopping. The car looked laden. At this time there was actually very little wine. The customs shed, shed loomed up and a very nice chap in uniform directed us inside. This was the first time this had happened in many years. Car looks full sir, he said. Have we been shopping? Well, actually, yes, I explained, and took him round the back to look at the boxes of tinned petit pois, haricot vert, and other edible goodies not available in Britain. Not forgetting this half dozen or so huge bottles of Purcell that were so much cheaper in France. We had only about three cases of wine this time, I said. It was only a short stay. He was very polite and took the passports away. On return, we must have passed his test and he said we could leave. A strange thing happened then, though. As we were leaving, the number two camper was wheeled in behind us, the one that had not got shunted. The two had been effectively separated. His mate was still on the quay arguing, and had we been suspect too, as we were parked close to hand on the ferry? Who else had been watching during the journey? And how, how had that van shunted the camper? In the va in the, if the van had rolled forward, surely it would have rolled back too with, with the motion of the sea. If it, had, if it had, we'd have effectively crunched the front of our car. There was no sign of the van coming anywhere near our car, which had been very close due to our last minute arrival. After all this, the journey home was uneventful. That was a relief. There we are, that's the end of that story, a little bit longer than, than normal. I hope, hope you've enjoyed listening. Um, there are more stories to read on keithsandersisastoryman.wordpress.com. Lots more free audio stories on this Buzzsprout site. There are free videos to watch on Keith Sanders, the short story man on YouTube. And there's a shop. All the stories you listen to or read are compiled into books. They're easy to download, they're not expensive. Have a look at the site, richardkeithsanders.sells.com Thank you for listening.